0: Brothers and sisters, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. And as you're turning there, let me tell you a story. Several years ago, uh, Pete Carell, Pete Carrill was the longtime basketball coach at Princeton University. And he had a player on his team, one of his best players, who was not performing well. He wasn't playing well. So he took him off to the side after one practice and said to him, Son, is it ignorance or is it apathy? Is it ignorance or apathy? And the coach or the player looked right at Coach Carill and said, Coach, I don't know and I don't care. Let that sit for a minute. And as disciples of Jesus, we often fail to grow in our discipleship. And it's often because of ignorance and apathy. It's often because... There are many things that we don't know that we need to learn. But there's also a sense that apathy, that we just don't want to grow at times. Take, for example, the discipline of prayer. I imagine there aren't many of us in this room who would stand up and say that that your prayer life is exactly where you want it to be. Sometimes we struggle to pray, frankly, because we don't know what to pray. But there's also times when we struggle to pray because, frankly, we don't want to pray. Well, the Lord Jesus is the friend of sinners. And he knows our every weakness. And this morning in our passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 11 He does something amazing. Jesus not only helps us to know what to pray. Because he loves us, he helps us to want to pray. Jesus not only in our passage of scripture this morning gives us a model for prayer. Jesus loves us and gives us motivation for prayer. So as you open your Bibles to Luke chapter 11, we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 13 this morning. If you're using the Pew Bible, you can find that on page 869, 869. And just before I read the passage, let's just remind ourselves briefly of the context. In chapter 9, verse 51, Jesus begins to go to Jerusalem. And we know what's going to happen when Jesus gets to Jerusalem, Jesus has told us multiple times when he arrives in Jerusalem, he's going to be betrayed. He's going to suffer. He's going to die on the cross for our sins. And he's going to rise three days later for our justification. And on the way to the cross, Jesus teaches the way of the cross, how we are to follow him as his disciples. Last time you remember Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Martha and Mary. And there we were were reminded that the one thing that's necessary is to sit at the Savior's feet and to listen to his word. And I hate these chapter divisions. I wish the chapter divisions would go away because the very next thing he tells us, we find the Savior and we get to sit at his feet and listen to the Savior pray. So let's listen now. And if you're a struggling prayer this morning, trust that many of us are struggling in prayer. If you've ever said, I don't know what to pray. And if you've ever said, I just don't want to pray. Well, the Lord Jesus has something to say to you. Let's listen now to God's word. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray And he said to them, which of you has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And will he answer from within? Do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who who seeks finds and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? There's a lot in this passage. I've preached on the Lord's Prayer before. You can go find those sermons on the internet somewhere. But this morning, we're going to look at Luke's teaching on prayer in Luke 11. And I can summarize this whole passage in a sentence. Here it is. Jesus wants his disciples to pray. It's pretty basic. Jesus wants his disciples to pray. To our good and gracious heavenly father. That's verses one to four. Jesus wants his disciples to pray to our good and gracious heavenly father. Verses one to four. With Childlike persistence, verses 5 to 10. And childlike confidence, verses 11 to 13. Let me say that one more time. Jesus wants His disciples to pray to our good and gracious Heavenly Father with childlike persistence. If you don't know what childlike persistence is, just talk to a mother. And childlike confidence. And if you're, an, if you're a note taker, this is a real simple outline. Two points this morning, and then we'll go to the Lord's Supper. First point, number one, the model for prayer, verses one to four. The model for prayer, verses one to four. And then verses five to 13, the motivation for prayer. Verses five to 13, the model for prayer and the motivation for prayer. Now, Matthew Henry, the great commentator, once said this. When God intends great mercy for his people, the first thing he does is to set them a praying. And that's my prayer, that God will set us a praying. Number one, the model for prayer, verses one to four. The passage begins right there in verse one with Jesus praying. Do you see that? Luke tells us Jesus was praying in a certain place and the disciples see Jesus praying and they come up to him when he's done and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray just like John the Baptist taught his disciples to pray. We know from chapter five, verse 33, that John taught his disciples about prayer and about fasting and the disciples of Jesus want him to instruct them. But notice the question. Sometimes we read this verse and we think that they're asking Jesus, teach us how to pray. But look at the verse again. Don't look at me. Look at your Bibles. That's not the question. The request is, Lord, teach us to pray. You see, the disciples know how to pray. They're Jewish. They've prayed most of their lives. Luke's underscoring that they saw something in Jesus's example of persistent, consistent, constant prayer, and it made an impression upon them. And they're asking Jesus, "Teach us to pray. Teach us to pray the way you pray." Jesus is a is a devoted is devoted to prayer. Jesus lives a praying life. Jesus is pr- prays without ceasing just think about what we've seen in Luke's gospel at his baptism Jesus is praying in desolate places Jesus is praying before choosing the apostles Jesus is praying all alone Jesus is praying before Peter's confession at Caesarea Philippi that Jesus is Messiah Jesus is praying on the Mount of Transfiguration why did he take Peter James and John up there to pray When the 72 return from their mission trip, guess what Jesus is doing? Kids? Exactly. He's praying. You're listening. He's praying. Now, some of you, I've done your membership interviews, and I know that you're subject matter experts on certain things. Jesus is the subject matter expert on prayer. So so the cry of our heart this morning, if you want to grow in your prayer life, we should pray along with the disciples. We should ask, Oh Lord, Teach us to pray. And then in verses two to four, the one who is the model of prayer, Jesus, gives us a model prayer. Look at verses two to four. Now, your Bible probably has the Lord's Prayer. You can scratch that out. That's a bad title. Um, I think the Lord's Prayer is John 17. That's really the Lord's Prayer. This is more the disciples' prayer. This is the disciples prayer because it's the Lord teaching his disciples what to pray. Now, if you look at this, 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 this uh, version of the Lord's prayer, it's it's similar, but slightly different in some ways. It's shorter than the the version in Matthew. Well, that was a different teaching moment. Jesus probably taught on prayer a lot. But the main substance of this prayer in Luke is similar to the one that Jesus Uh, Gave in the Sermon on the Mount. I just want you to notice a few things. Notice first the address. Who do we address when we pray? And then after that, we're going to look at the five requests. Okay, briefly. Number one, Jesus teaches us right there in verse two to address our prayers to God the Father. Do you see that? Look at the first word in the prayer. What's the first word? Okay, Marcus is reading. Anybody else? No. Father. Are you see that? Father. We are to address our prayers to God the Father. We, we, later, Luke, Jesus is going to call the Father our Heavenly Father. Now, in the Old Testament, there, occasionally in the Old Testament Scriptures, the God of Israel is called the Father of His people. There's a handful of times where that occurs. But Jews in the first century, never prayed to the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, by referring to him as father. It just didn't happen. And what Jesus is doing here is shocking. He is praying to God with a familiar language, familial language that gives us this idea of the intimacy between the Son of God and God the Father. But what's even more shocking is Jesus says to his disciples, you can share that same intimacy with the Lord. You can call upon the Lord as your father in heaven. Christians pray to a father of mercy who sits on a throne of grace. We pray to a father who cares for us. Remember earlier in Luke chapter 10, Jesus said, no one knows the father except the son and the son to whom he chooses to reveal him. He just said that in Luke 10. And in this passage, brothers and sisters, Jesus is revealing to us who the father is. He's a good father. He's a gracious father. He's a loving father who delights to hear the prayers of his children. So in this passage, in this passage, really, everything else that comes after this, I'm going to argue, is an explanation, an illustration, an application of that first word in the prayer. Father, I'm going to persuade you of that, Lord willing. Listen, if you if you are not affected. That you can draw near to this God who is your father and bring your request to him. You won't grow in prayer. What Jesus is doing in this passage, Jesus is helping us to enjoy the pleasure of being in the Father's presence that Jesus has enjoyed for eternity. It's amazing. One of my favorite Puritans, a guy named Thomas Watson, he said this, there is more sweetness In that word, Father, than if we had 10,000 worlds. Your Father, the maker of heaven and earth, invites you into his presence. You can draw near to him in prayer at any time, in any place, and you can bring him any burden and any anxiety and any concern and any need and any request according to his will, and he promises to hear you. That's what Jesus is saying in that word, Father. I love Isaiah 65, 24. This is what our heavenly father says. It's beautiful. Before they call, I will answer. And while they are yet speaking, I will hear. So address your prayers To God, your heavenly Father. And as you pray to Him, Jesus gives you five requests, which are a kind of framework that should structure or model your prayer after. I'm gonna briefly mention them. Number one, first thing, ask for your Father's name to be honored. Ask for your Father's name to be honored. Verse 2: hallowed be your name. That's a prayer asking God's name to be honored, to be revered. Uh, The name is the same as the the glory of the person. So you want God's name to be uh, not taken in vain. You want his name to be revered and honored and adored. And so when we pray, hallowed be your name, we want God's glorious name to be honored around the world. And I want you to just notice, I've said this before, before you even ask for breakfast, before you ask for lunch, before you ask for daily bread, Jesus says, pray for God's name to be honored. That's before anything. Number two, ask for your father's kingdom to come. You see that? Ask for your father's kingdom to come. Jesus says, pray your kingdom come. You're asking for God's rule and reign to come on the earth for the rule of Christ to abound. That's what we're praying for. We're praying for the, the kingdoms of this world to be cast down and the kingdom of God in Christ to rule and to reign. So ask for your father's kingdom to come. Number three, ask your father to sustain you. Ask your father to sustain you. Verse three, give us each day our daily Bread. We want to ask God for our daily provision. Now, kids, listen up. When you go to the grocery store, you need to know that those plant, those like the vegetables and stuff, they didn't grow there at the grocery store. They actually grew someplace else. And now we live in a very industrialized world with a kind of global economy. And it's hard for us, I think, at times to remember How many things have to happen to even put food on our tables? But in Jesus's day and the majority of the people who've ever lived wake up every morning, not knowing where their next meal is coming from. And so there is a dependence that God wants us to have for him to supply not only our physical needs, but also our spiritual needs. And when Jesus says, give us this day, our daily bread, he wants you to know, to remember what he did for Israel in the wilderness. How did he provide for his people when they were wandering through a wilderness? He gave them manna from heaven. And you remember he gave it to them every what? Every morning. And they couldn't gather it up and keep it for themselves for the next day, it would go rotten. They literally had to go to bed at night praying, Lord, you gave us manna today, give it to us tomorrow. And that kind of dependence, daily looking to the Lord, knowing that we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from God's mouth. That's a daily dependence that Jesus wants to cultivate in our prayer lives. Number four, ask for your father to forgive you. You sin every day, I sin every day. I usually sin before 10 a.m. in the morning, right? You can ask my kids or Allison about that. We need to be forgiven every day, right? So Jesus teaches us every day. Every time we pray, we need to ask God, forgive me. And notice the forgiveness, it's not just a vertical forgiveness. That vertical forgiveness between you and God is to take expression in our horizontal relationships. As we have been forgiven by God, the basis there is we, are for, we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, verse four. But there's not only forgiveness, number five, we ask our Father to lead us. Ask your Father to lead you. Lead me not into temptation. So we ask God to lead us or to guide us in such a way that we don't go into temptation and sin, but that we live for his glory. So I want you to just summarize this. This is what Jesus is saying. In in, in a few verses, Jesus is saying this. It's amazing. This is the prayer. Oh, Father, may your name be honored. May your kingdom come. Sustain me, forgive me, and lead me. Isn't that beautiful? And you can take each one of those requests and, and linger there and pray wherever the, the spirit of the Lord is leading you. But it's a wonderful prayer. In just a few verses, Jesus takes our eyes off ourselves and focuses our gaze on our father who's in heaven. Now, brothers and sisters, you may not pray as much because you just don't know what to pray. But Jesus supplies an answer to that question. In this passage, there's nothing wrong with praying the Lord's prayer verbatim as you memorized it. But you can also use those headings, as it were, to pray longer and more deeply with the Lord. Brothers and sisters, Jesus wants you to see prayer is communion with your father in heaven. That's what he wants you to see. When we pray to our father, we are drawing near to the father to enjoy his presence and to actually learn to enjoy the very thing that Christ has enjoyed for eternity. You see, sometimes we think about salvation is I come to the Lord to have my sins forgiven. But what the New Testament teaches us again and again is that Christ Jesus came into the world, yes, to save sinners. He came into the world to forgive our sins. But he came into the world ultimately, brothers and sisters, to bring us to God. First Peter chapter three, verse 18. Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring us to God. So when we pray, we're going into our father's presence. This is why he made us. This is why he saved us to be brought to God. And we enjoy that adoption that he has provided for us in the gospel. Our fathers in the faith put it like this. Listen to to, to the, the section on adoption from the second London confession of faith. Listen to this. This is beautiful. All those that are justified, that is declared right in the sight of God, right? By faith. All those who are justified, listen, enjoy the liberties and privileges of the children of God. And they have God's name put on them. And they receive the spirit of adoption and have access to the throne of grace with boldness and Are enabled to cry, Abba, Father. And they are pitied and protected and provided for and chastened by God as by a father, but never cast off, but sealed for the day of of redemption and inherit the promises as heirs of everlasting salvation. Isn't that wonderful? and sisters, this model prayer in verses one to four, it's not mechanical, it's relational. It's not transactional. If, you're, if, you're, if your prayer life consists of Heavenly Father and then you just list out everything you want, right? I would encourage you to spend some time, especially at the beginning of your times of prayer, just reflecting on who God is. Who is your father? What has he done for you? And enjoy praising him and drawing near to him. Now, it's it's fine to have a model for prayer, but some of you, I would say most of you, if you've grown up in the church or if you've read your Bibles before, you already know the Lord's prayer and you're thinking, yeah, 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 I know all this, pastor. But it's amazing that Jesus spends the rest of 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 the passage not giving us the what of prayer, he gives us the motivation. He wants you to be motivated to want to pray. And that's what he does in verses five to 13. Verses five to 13, the motivation for prayer. And I've got to be honest with you that I I kept staring at verses one to four and verses five to 13 all week long. And it only clicked with me at 11 p.m. last night. So if this is the ink is still wet on some of these thoughts, so just roll with it. Here we go. These remaining verses, I'm going to argue these two parables that Jesus tells. These, These two parables are intended by Jesus to motivate us to pray by showing us the kind, good, loving, generous heart of our heavenly father. That's the purpose of verses five to 13. You've got two parables. And in the middle of the parables, you've got this exhortation to to ask and to seek and to knock. But the point of these verses is to help you see the father. They're they're, they're an exploration of who is the father, who is the one you have access to. Here's the thing. If I gave you an invitation, I said, hey, you can go have dinner at this restaurant with this random person. You have no interest in doing that. You don't know the person. But if it's someone that you admire, if it's someone that you really are interested in, the person who's going to be at the dinner table, that's going to make you want to go to that dinner. Well, to the same degree, if you understand the astounding privilege to spend time with God the Father, that will motivate you. To draw near to him in prayer. Both of these parables are how much more parables? They go from the lesser to the greater. So let me just look at both of them. They're pretty straightforward. And then we'll we'll draw near to the supper. First, first parable it's the parable of the annoying neighbor, the parable of the annoying neighbor, verses five to eight. Jesus wants, here's the point. Here's the headline. Jesus wants you to see how much more your God and heavenly father is willing to hear and answer your requests in your time of need than even your reluctant next door neighbor and friend. That's the point. That's the how much more that's going on. So this is actually a funny scene. Um, imagine a friend arrives late at night to your home. You have no food. You have nothing. The pantry's empty. You know how hospitality is such a big deal in this Jewish culture. Remember Martha just a few verses earlier. So you don't have any food. So you go over to your friend's house, your neighbor's house. It's, it's midnight. That's a problem. And you start beating on the front door, knocking. I need three loaves of bread. Right? And the problem is all the lights are out. The neighbor is already in bed. The kids are in bed. He didn't want to get out of bed. And he says, he says, look, I'm not, I'm not getting out. Sorry, no, no bread for you, buddy. Even though you're my friend, I'm not doing it. I can't get up and give you anything. And then Jesus gives us the key, verse, verse eight. I tell you, even though he won't arise and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his, now the ESV says impudence, your Bible may say persistence. Your Bible may say shameless boldness That's a good phrase. He will get up and give him as much as he wants, as much as he needs. What's the point? Here's the point. Jesus is saying, if your grumpy, sleepy friend and neighbor will answer your urgent request at an inopportune time from a shamelessly persistent friend, then how much more Will God, the father, answer the persistent prayers of his children? You see what he's doing? He's saying you don't have a friend or a neighbor like this. You have a father in heaven who longs to hear the prayers of his children. That's the first parable. The second parable, you could call it the parable of the giving fathers. You see that there at the end, beginning in verse 11. And again, it's a how much more. Look at it again. Verse 11. What father among you, if a son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? Now, kids, we have a friend in Raleigh, North Carolina, whose brother is like his hobby is like uh, collecting snakes, like poisonous snakes. Right, So for, just pretend for a minute that you don't like snakes. All right. The point of it is, if you ask your dad, if you say, dad, can I have a fish sandwich? And he says, sure. Here's a cobra. He's not going to do that. Right. No dad is going to do that. Hey, hey dad, could, could I have a, you know, an, an egg, some, some scrambled eggs? He says, sure, son. Here you go. And he's a scorpion, a basket of scorpions. No one's no father's going to do that. It's ridiculous. And Jesus says, here's the insult, the, the, the rebuke to us. Jesus says, verse 11, it's amazing, or 13. If you then, who are evil? (laughs) Welcome to Frank County Baptist Church. If you, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, here's the phrase, how much more will the heavenly Father give? Now, notice you're expecting him to say good gifts. To his children. Notice what he says. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Let me ask you, Christian, this week, anytime this week, did you ask the Father to give you the Spirit? Interesting. What Jesus is saying is if a human Father who's a sinner, Will give his child what is requested and needed, even good gifts. How much more will our Father in heaven give to his children what we need the most? Just ponder for a minute. I want you to ponder. Think of, think of everything that your Heavenly Father has given you. He's given you life and breath and everything. Acts 17. Right now, Hebrews one says he's holding you together by the word of his power. So he's giving you existence. The father has given you most of all his only son. For God so loved the world that he what gave his only son. His only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. What else has God given? He's given you new life. He's caused you to be born again. He's given you his Holy Spirit. He's given you every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It's amazing. But of all the blessings that that, that, that Jesus could point out, verse 13, he mentions the singular good gift, the best of gifts that God has given to his children, namely the Holy Spirit. Because if you have the Holy Spirit, You get all those other blessings. You see, if you have the Holy Spirit, he's the one who inspired the word of God for us. He's the one who opens our eyes. He's the one who regenerates us. He's the one who unites us to Christ. He's the one who prays and intercedes for us with groans too deep for words. I love when Jesus was about to leave his disciples on the night he was betrayed, They're upset. They're concerned. And Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans in this world. I'm not leaving you alone. I must go away so that I can send to you another helper, another comforter. One that's just like me. And that comforter that's just like Jesus is the Holy Spirit. In giving us the spirit of God, God, the father in the son was giving us himself. When you receive Christ, you receive the spirit of God. You receive the spirit of Christ. You receive the spirit of promise. You receive the spirit of truth. You receive the spirit of adoption. You receive the spirit of God's son. Listen to what Paul says. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that they might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. Crying what? Abba. Father. Isn't that beautiful? He has given us. This is how much the Father loves you. He not only gives you His only Son, He gives you the Spirit of His Son to unite Him to you. He's not abandoned us, He didn't leave us behind as orphans. He's given us Himself. You're reading God's word. God's love has been poured into our hearts. How? Through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Romans 5, 5. The Spirit is God's evidence. It's his down payment of our future inheritance. And so, friend, do you see, friend, do you see what kind of father you have in heaven? He's not holding out on you. He loves you and he gives good gifts to his children and he invites you to draw near to him in prayer. And that's where we get to the application. Verse nine. So how should you respond if this is the kind of father you have? How should you respond? Verse nine. I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you for everyone who asks, receives. And everyone who seeks, finds, and the one who knocks, here's the promise, it will be opened to you. So friend, what should you draw from this in regards to your prayers? There ought to be a childlike persistence and a childlike confidence. That ought to be the the mark of our prayer lives, that we don't just pray for something once, That we we continue to ask every day. And we continue to trust that he's a good father. He's not going to give us snakes and scorpions. He's not holding out from us. He's given us everything. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also freely with him graciously give us what? All things. So he's a good father. And so he wants us to draw near to him and friend, listen, if you're not growing in your prayer life, you need to grow first in beginning to believe that God is good. If you believe that God is good and you're persuaded that he's good from the scriptures, you will draw near to him in your time of need. As we close, I wanna just highlight a few things, especially for those of us here who may not be Christians. I want you to just, as we go to the table together, I want us to think about for a minute, as we close, just how prayer mirrors the gospel. You may not have ever thought of this before. Prayer mirrors the gospel. When we pray, we're putting on public display that we're weak and that God is mighty. Prayer is for the weak, and the gospel is good news for the weak. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for us. He died for the ungodly. Prayer is something that is practiced by faith. And the gospel is a message that's received in the empty hands of faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that is the, not of your own doing. It's the gift of God so that no one may boast. Prayer is grounded on the love and mercy and grace of God. And the gospel itself is grounded upon the mercy, love and grace of God. Last one, prayer is the privilege of calling upon the name of the Lord. You realize that? The very first reference to prayer in the Bible, it's called calling upon the name of the Lord. And in the gospel, in the gospel, it's the good news that the Lord knows your name and he calls you his child. See what kind of love the father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Friend, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, you can pray to him. You can pray to him right now. You can call out to him for forgiveness and mercy. You can confess your sins to him. He's a friend of sinners. And he promises that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. That Jesus Christ is who he said he is. The one who came and suffered and died and rose again for our sins, for our justification. He promises to save you. Everyone who calls upon the Lord shall be saved. And Christian, this summons to prayer. It's not something that you just do at the beginning of your Christian life. This is something that's a daily, hourly practice until we see him face to face. Do you realize sometimes we always think about the end of the Bible? We think about I can't wait. I was talking during Sunday school. One of our members said one of the things that she's looking forward to is no more sin. Isn't that great? I mean, there's a day coming, there'll be no more sin. Do you realize there's a day coming, there'll be no more prayer? You ever thought about that? Prayer is something that we offer by faith, not by sight. But one day we won't have to pray because we'll see Him. We'll see Him face to face. Let Let me close with these words from John Newton. Oh, blessed privilege of prayer. Oh, the wonderful love and care and power of our Heavenly Father. His eye is always on us, His ear is always open to us. Circumstances change, but He will never change. The way is rough, and He trod it before us. And now our great shepherd is with us every step we take and every step we take brings us nearer to him, nearer to our heavenly home. Our strength is small and we are often exhausted, but our father has engaged to renew us day by day and soon he will wipe Away every tear from our eyes, and we shall appear with him in glory. Would you pray with me? Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for being the kind of Savior who knows exactly what we need. And so we pray. We pray that those of us who know how to pray. Would be motivated to pray that we would see it not just as a a discipline and a duty, but that we would see that it is a delight to draw near to the throne of grace and to spend time with our heavenly father who loves us and who cares for us. Oh, Father, would you change us and make us into a people of prayer? Would you set us to praying all for the good of your people and for the glory of your son? Father, we ask this in Jesus name. Amen.